there was a lot of screen time, there was a lot of internet stalking and texting random Ugandan numbers that I've been given and hoping that the right person was on the other end. Hi, I'm Madison Malone-Kircher. And I'm Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. Last week, in an attempt to um, lift our own spirits, this was entirely selfish, we published an episode that was only fun things from the internet. And uh, after we put that episode out, we got an amazing collection of other fun things from the internet from our listeners. And uh, we don't gatekeep. So what we're saying is we're going to share them with you or some of them with you. And I apologize if you do not hear your bit of internet joy here, because truly there were many. And for that, we say thank you. First up, thank you to at Becca Sleeb for sending us the wildest, I guess, PSA about um, the importance of not parking in designated handicap spots. If you don't speak Polish, that's okay. We have tweeted all of these from our account, so you can go watch them with subtitles in English and uh, scream. Next up, we have an absolute gem from at Sampra Ashley, who I just want to say thank you so much for flagging this incredible TikTok account called Sax Squatch, and it's exactly what you think it is, which is a man in a Sasquatch costume playing the saxophone. Thus, Sax Squatch. And because this is, in fact, uh, not a podcast about the internet, but musicals. Sorry, if you thought it was a podcast about the internet, you're wrong. Uh, thank you to at YellowJKT for sending us uh, Jonathan Groff singing Anything Goes at the MCC Miscast Gala in 2012. That sentence makes perfect sense to me. And knowing what we know about our listeners, I'm going to assume it makes perfect sense to a lot of you, too. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking. But now, God knows anything goes. I do have to admit, I love the miscast version of Take Me or Leave Me from Rent, which features Aaron Tveit and Gavin Creel. It is just an instant bit of serotonin. But despite what Madison said, we're not a musical podcast. Please keep sending the joy into our DMs, truly, it is it is so nice for the first time in possibly my entire professional life to check uh, the DM request folder, which is where the people you don't know go, which is where the, uh, you know, harassing comments, pictures of genitalia you didn't ask for, just bad things go there and instead be just met with delightfully funny things. That is all the time we have for great stuff today, though, because we have a fantastic guest who is here to tell us all about something which... While not fun in the uh, SpongeBob kind of way, uh, is going to tell us a fun, riveting, and wild story. On the show today, we have Jessica Lucas, who is back with yet another wild story. Y'all might remember her, and by might, I mean you should remember her from when she came on to talk about her incredible piece on Whitey Nation. This time, she's here to tell us about her piece, The Spectacular Implosion of Instagram's No White Saviors. This story takes so so many turns you're basically just going in a square around the block just right turn after right turn after right turn and we end up back where we started to prime your brain 
ever so slightly. No White Saviors is an Instagram account that made its name by taking down bad white people. It claimed to be based in Uganda. And uh, turns out the white people it took down perhaps uh, actually did nothing wrong. And uh, the people behind it were pocketing tens of thousands of dollars allegedly. Some might call it an Ouroboros of cancellation. Only you, Rachel. Maybe Jessica will. We'll find out when we're back with Jessica Lucas after just a quick break. All right, and we are back. And also back, Jessica Lucas. Jessica, hello. We're so glad you're on the show again. Hello. Thank you. It was lovely to be back. (laughs) We are so excited, not least because you have written yet another wild adventure about something involving white people. (laughs) (laughs) As we mentioned, the title of the piece is The Spectacular Implosion of Instagram's No White Saviors. So Jessica, we're going to start with the impossible question. The broad strokes of the story. What is is the elevator pitch? The the two-sentence version of what this story is about? I honestly, I've been trying to think about this and I have no idea because no one, even I, has the foggiest about what went on that you've got these two Instagram activism founders who are fighting very publicly online but are refusing to speak. I've had people tell me they can't talk to me because they think they're going to get sued or prosecuted in some kind of Ugandan legal action. Like the the whole thing is insane but I guess essentially what's going on in a nutshell is a Instagram activism account which built its brand of cancelling people may have fabricated those cancellations in order to attract money towards it and then also there's a whole load of murky legal stuff going on which essentially amounts to you know the money may not have been going towards what people think it was. Okay so the Instagram account that you mentioned is the No White Saviors account. How would you describe what the account did to someone who has never encountered this before? So No White Saviors built its brand on cancelling white saviors. So white missionaries and other folks that were doing aid work in Africa, uh, often in the opinion of the No White Saviors account, in a performative or problematic way to either achieve clout or just because they, they were acting out of ignorance. So it was it was designed to call out problematic people and also educate, I guess, white people on the concept of white saviorism. So when did you first come upon this account? I came upon this account a couple of months ago, purely because, and I'm giving away my strategies here, people were gossiping about it on Blog Snark, which is a Reddit sub that oh, I yes, lurk yeah. in a lot. Yeah. And I kind of thought, okay, you know, something, something's going on here. People are talking about it. So I started looking into it. And I guess that was the time, first time I came across No White Saviors was literally as it had started to blow up in a very bad way. So you came across this impending blow up on Blog Snark. There's kind of a lot of stuff on that subreddit. <laughs> what made you think, you know, I think there's something here. I guess it was because there was so much going on. I mean, there I went down this rabbit hole and everything was insane. You had these two women who had been best friends throwing insane accusations at each other about like espionage, fraud, 
bullying, harassment. Um, you had a load of people in shock that a white woman had been running the account most of the time in the first place. That was a big thing for people. And then you had all of these other people coming out of the woodwork, many of whom I interviewed to say, well, you know, yeah, this woman is bad. She she stole my husband and, and she forced me, accused me of these things and ruined my life. And it was just nuts. It was, you know, it was, it was unbelievable. It, it looked like fiction. So... Yeah. <laughs> Whenever someone tosses around the term espionage is exactly when I start getting interested in. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the two founders of the No White Savers account, Kelsey Nielsen, a white woman from America, and Olivia Lasso, a Ugandan black woman. And No White Saviors kind of builds their brand on bringing light to missionaries who come to Africa and perpetuate this really tired narrative. Could you tell us a little bit about the people that the No White Saviors account have targeted, like Kiona, who you mentioned in your piece? So Kiona is a travel influencer. Uh, she built her brand under the name How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch. Um, yeah. And it was, it, it was all, you know, about respecting the cultures of the places you travel to and, and traveling ethically. And she ended up in a wild situation where she got in a dispute over pay with someone she had hired. This was happening in Ghana, I believe. And that person then started threatening her about this withheld pay. Um, the police were involved and she was then cancelled by No White Saviors after all of this drama happened because she'd called the police and, and it was... It's slightly bizarre. It was framed as though, you know, she'd called the police on a black man and put them at risk of violence without mm. contextualizing that this had all happened in an African country. So another person you mentioned in your piece is Paige, who owns an NGO, and she was also targeted by no white saviors, right? Yeah, she was... Um, she was targeted through a medium post, which they published on their blog, a huge list of accusations made against her, all of which have later been proven to be false. Um, and then they repeatedly went after her through their Instagram page as well. And this was a pretty common tactic that No White Saviors was using, these very significant allegations. In Paige's case, uh, accusations of sexual and romantic relationships with minors, embezzling charitable funds, uh, drugging her own guard, like truly abhorrent and wild things. Yeah, the, the whole thing is insane. And I think this is it, it's worth mentioning that these kind of accusations were... Um, I'm trying to think of the right words here, that these kind of accusations were made against Renee Buck. Um, I, I don't know how many people will be familiar with her case. It went viral. In 2019, she was associated with the deaths of 100 Ugandan children. Um, and No White Saviors was, was behind a lot of these allegations. And Ariel Levy did an amazing job of looking at, at all of these allegations in the New Yorker and, you know, going on the ground in Uganda and interviewing people. And she got absolutely crucified for doing it. But it seems like she was 12 steps ahead of everyone else because <laughs> the, the issues she raised. And um, if I'm not wrong, I believe she deleted her Twitter after the black backlash um, because trust in no white saviors at the time was so high. 
um, that they are the same issues raised by victims in the years since the Renee Bob case happened. A lot of the victims that you spoke to seem to kind of do their own digging into No White Saviors. What did they find about this organization? And what did you find in your reporting? So it's more, it's more what they didn't find. They didn't, uh, there was just a lack of like a credible trail that you would expect from an NGO in terms of finances and proper business licenses, permits, things like that. It, so, you know, you had all of these people who had false allegations aimed at them online. They were trying to sue over these allegations and there was no entity to sue this <laughs> This company did not exist, but it was bringing in thousands in donations every month from Patreon and Venmo and PayPal. So, you know, the question then became, well, where is this money going? There's a line in your piece from Kiana that I gasped at. (laughs) She says they raised $80,000 for a library in Uganda. I don't know if you've seen the library, but it is a bookshelf. Yeah. Yeah. And there's um, there's a link in the article to a, a YouTube video. Um, which a completely unrelated influencer made where they they did a tour of the library. And it's a fairly nice venue, but there aren't that many books. Um, (laughs) The money is where this story really takes off and things begin to break down for No White Saviors, because that's the only trail you and also the victims are able to follow is, you know, seeing that, for example, the GoFundMe for the library was raising money in Kelsey Nielsen's name, personally. Mm -hmm. How interesting. And we were able to trace businesses back to, well, at least one business back to Nielsen's home state of um, Pennsylvania, but it was an LLC set up with a registered agent, which essentially means that whoever owns it is protected from financial liability and also from being known to the public. Seems just a little bit shady for a charitable organization. Correct. Yeah, it's it's very weird. And there's, you know, a lot of back and forth. Essentially, No White Saviors has a parent company called Kusi Mama Africa. Kusi Mama Africa is set up as an LLC and an NGO in the US in two different states and also as an NGO in Uganda. Now, I tried to get the financials for the NGO in Uganda, but they still have not been released to me. I got a very cryptic text last night, weirdly, from someone claiming to be from the Ugandan NGO embassy, (laughs) contacting me unofficially to see if they could help me um, (laughs) and sending me really weird messages. But that has also gone nowhere. So, um, Jessica, you live a fascinating life. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds much more interesting than it is. It's more me staring at a phone on my (laughs) phone. Okay, so uh, again, I'm going to ask an impossible question. What is the craziest turn of the drama in this story to your mind? I would think the, the past few weeks have been particularly nuts. So Kelsey Nielsen got arrested in Uganda. It wasn't clear entirely what that was for and there's a lot of um, mystery around what the charges were she then went on bail and fled the country so she's now in the US this was shortly after footage was circulated of her allegedly assaulting um, people involved with no white saviors in a Ugandan nightclub which was circulating all over the internet Um, it, it just and then she started accusing people of being sent by the US government to infiltrate no white saviors as a movement and bring it down because it was a threat to society as we knew it. 
course. <laughs> casual, casual things. We'll be back with more casual, casual things and Jessica Lucas after a short break. We've walked through a couple of steps of this story. Very, very oversimplified. Cannot recommend more highly that everyone listening to this actually read this piece. We've got No White Savior's Instagram account. They're perhaps raising money nefariously. And also the white saviors they're taking down perhaps uh, didn't need to be taken down. So where does that leave the group of victims? Because the part of the story where I was just like, there's no one to take legal action against. It's where do we go from here? Exactly. So, um... I spoke to an LLC expert who essentially said that it is possible to take legal action, but you need a lot of money. It will take a lot of legal work, expensive legal work in order to trace someone who's liable for all of this, like in terms of someone who could be sued. So for them, it's a case of, I guess, getting the the funds in place and also asking themselves if, if it's worth it at this point. I think or at least the impression I've gotten from speaking with people taking legal action was less about getting compensation or money and more about having these posts removed mm-hmm. and getting apologies and having their names cleared. So that hasn't happened yet. But what did happen is the implosion of the No White Savings account, which I think at least one of the people you spoke to said, that that's something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I, I think it is you know, at least helpful for people. Again, you know, when when I was writing this piece, I had my interviewees and also at, at one point, Kelsey Nielsen in the middle of the night telling me that I was going to get crucified for writing the, this. And that did not happen. And I think that is because trust in this organization, you know, two years on from that article has dropped dramatically. So at least that is something, at least people are now really questioning it. That is kind of a perfect segue into our next question, which is one of your sources said that this has made her reconsider the people that she's giving money to. And I'm curious as to what you think public kind of meltdowns like this do to the genre of online activism as a whole. I think it's damaging. It's also not the first time it's happened. And I don't think we should necessarily, you know, lose faith in online activism, although that's a whole other conversation in terms of clicktivism and how much benefit does it really have. But it's important to start questioning these things because I think now it's so easy for us to to get caught up in these online movements and, and hand over money because, you know, it's exciting to feel like you're part of something and it's exciting to feel like you're making a difference. And when making a difference amounts to just, you know, clicking something and donating $5, then it becomes very easy for that to be manipulated or or just, you know, used by nefarious people. Yeah, and there's this kind of language in the aftermath of many of the terrible events that happen in the world where the sentiment is, you don't want to be a white savior, just donate to the people who are actually on the ground. And then you have moments like these where the trust in the places that you're donating to gets completely erased and you're left with this idea of, okay, well, I'm not an expert, so I shouldn't be getting involved. I want to give money, but also God knows where that money is going. They said they were on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) 
Exactly. I don't know. What can you do? If you have local organisations and and you can see what they're doing on the ground and and you know where your money is going, I think it's much more valuable to send it that way than to try or, you know, get caught up in these giant online entities that may not be spending in the way you think they are. Jessica, you talked about sort of there were two parts of seeking justice for these victims here. One is financial compensation, maybe, sure. But the bigger part for them is clearing their names, getting their reputations back, if that's even possible. So I am going to I'm going to invoke the C word. (laughs) We're going to talk about cancellation. I what do you think about sort of the weaponization of cancellation that this account was engaged in? Because it certainly doesn't help the argument that I think all of us would die on, which is cancel culture is not real asterisk but (laughs) so we actually tried to avoid using the term cancel culture in the article because it is it is like now a taboo or a bit of a nothing word I mean obviously everyone's read the teen cancellation piece Mm -hmm. that came out recently and yeah so (laughs) so yeah I did I think the weaponization of cancellation is just I'm personally fascinated it fascinated by it in an internet context Mm. because all of these brands all of these accounts have built themselves up by cancelling other people whether it's no white saviors or everyone that was involved in that tiktok womblands saga that went on like a couple of months back Wow. I'd forgotten about Chelsea Hart until precisely this moment. The way you excavated that from my brain. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you know, but they, they, the whole industry has eaten itself. All of these people end up getting cancelled themselves. And I think, I don't know, it speaks to something, doesn't it? That if, if people are willing to build a brand on tearing other people down and terrorizing them and and trying to completely destroy their lives whether it is justified or or not depending on the behavior of the target they're probably doing messed up things behind the scenes themselves at least if it's something that they are building an online presence around I think there's a big difference between calling out problems when you see them and making your entire kind of gimmick on social media cancelling other people, because then I think the pressure to continue to create that content is how you get in situations where things get fabricated or blown out of proportion. Mm-hmm. And it's the question of what is the actual outcome here, where if you're calling out an individual problem, theoretically there's a solution, but when you make your entire brand cancelling, you're just going to find endless problems and your kind of your livelihood is based on finding them and on them not being fixed. And on that incredibly cheery note, uh, Jessica Lucas, everyone, back again with another wild, wild ride. Thank you very much for having me. Once again, that was Jessica Lucas. You can find her piece all about the implosion of No White Saviors over at Input Mag. And you can find Jessica on Twitter at Jess Lucas Writes. 
All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss an absolutely wild story from Instagram. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can see all the various incredibly fun things that we mentioned at the top of the show. And as always, you can drop us a note or a fun bit of internet content or a wild story at ICYMI at Slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader, Rachel Hampton, and me, Madison Malone-Kircher. Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. See you online. Or at the library.